just told me I have nothing to say. Yeah, I was like, I call an emergency pod, and I'm too sad and grumpy to talk. Mm-hmm. But I wonder how many other people are feeling that. Like, we're just in our heads, we are trying to survive, trying to stay informed, but then, like, getting overwhelmed. So that's where I'm at, but... um Hey everybody, <laughs> taking a break from Narnia really quick because um, there's stuff going on in the real world. Yeah, like the actual odyssey that we live in, um, <laughs> you know, needs to be addressed. And yeah, you and, you and I were kind of talking about the origins of us just deciding to do a podcast because, you know, it does take a lot of hubris and effort and work for us to like put out our thoughts into the world and um i feel like our the origin story of this podcast you know has direct correlations to what happened on wednesday january 6th when insurrectionists tried to take over the capitol building and um, succeeded in doing a lot um so crispin why don't you really quickly just talk about why we started our podcast and uh when our first recording was yeah so january uh 2017 the month of trump's inauguration danielle is like we need to do a podcast about adventures in odyssey by focus on the family to talk about like how why did 81 percent of evangelicals white evangelicals vote for trump mm-hmm. um so that was basically where we started we were like let's look at these Let's look at the media. Let's look at this mm-hmm. radio show that has been running for 30 years that is like one of the top listened to radio shows, definitely one of the top by conservative Christians mm-hmm. uh, that we grew up with that formed not just us, you know, that actually formed us as children. I started listening when I was five years old to Adventures in Odyssey and really formed our political imagination. Yeah. So I... I- like, did we record our first episode like the day of Trump's inauguration? I feel like it was there. There was something there. Yeah. So you know, there's some real um, cor- correlations to why we started this, and uh, yeah, I think there's one thing I just want to say as like this eternal caveat that's always burning in my soul is that there's just so many people to listen to when it comes to issues of. Christian nationalism, the issues of racism in the United States, white supremacy, and how it has benefited people. Um, You know, I just feel like there's so many voices to listen to when it comes to that. I will say, you and I are trying to do the work that we can in our lane, and, and I just hadn't really seen a lot of people delving into evangelical media and sort of parsing it out for what you and I have been calling dominant culture perspectives. But, you know, at this point, I think we can go ahead and say this Christian nationalism and, mm-hmm. you know, which is tied up with patriarchy and white supremacy, of course. Um, okay. So, yeah, I was thinking about where we've been in the last four years with this podcast. We started with the uh, Adventures in Odyssey and just kind of like picking and choosing. Uh, but then we actually did a series on uh, particularly the political imagination in Odyssey mm-hmm. of Adventures mm-hmm. in Odyssey, right? Um, and there was just a lot of nationalism there mm-hmm. um, really embedded in uh, in this Christian worldview, right? Don't you love that phrase? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did one about... Um, the ties that bind, 
right? And the that was really about, you know, these lone Christians, wit, who's standing up to all these the is it the government, the media, right? Definitely the media. Yeah. Right. That's attacking uh, him and, and trying to throw him under the bus. Um, and so it really, I would say it is a, paints a conspiracy against uh, wit in that season, right? And then we uh, looked at uh, This Present Darkness, another conspiracy mm-hmm. and spiritual battle for politics, right? Where like angels and demons are sort of involved in the politics of small town America and power. So it's just not surprising. I think so many people want to say that um, either this was Antifa or they're saying those people don't represent us. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's been pretty clear that Christians are much more likely to believe conspiracy theories. And I think if you look back over the evangelical media that we've analyzed, it actually just totally makes sense how we got here. And so, yeah, that's what we've been trying to do. And um, the the fruits of white evangelicalism as a religion and as a political party are rotten. And I think that's really apparent after what happened on Wednesday and you know you and I I I guess I was just so overwhelmed on Wednesday it wasn't really on my radar of like oh how are we going to talk to our kids about this because it's not like we blare the news mm-hmm. we see tweets on our phones and we see things on our computers but then our daughter eventually saw like saw what you were looking at on your computer uh-huh. right and did yeah. she see something about them holding signs and say Jesus says what were, uh-huh. what were you reading well I actually uh I pulled up I was explaining it to her and then I pulled up like an NPR article and and looked at the images oh so you decided to tell her yeah I decided to tell her and I decided to like make sure that I would show her images that would give her a picture of it without it being gruesome I didn't want her to see anything scary yeah. right scary um her first response was they're not wearing masks. That is way too many people in a small space to not be wearing masks. That's right, girl. Which was one of the problems. Um, but yeah, she doesn't really have like a concept of what the Capitol building is and all that stuff. So, right, yeah, exactly. So, but I was scrolling through Twitter later and there was someone that was like, it was more prominent, the Jesus save sign. And she was like, what? What? <laughs> what (laughs) like she literally she was just like that is not something that jesus would want you to ever do so it's very cute yeah her anger is cute and um i wonder where she gets that from Uh, well i mean that kind of sums up my feelings i again i kind of just feel like a hollowed out shell of you know I think even when we started this podcast, we were trying to say there's something, you know, rotten in the state of Denmark, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think probably lots of people have that same thought of like, we knew things were bad. We kind of knew it could get this bad, but then we've been told all along that we are overreacting or we're making a big deal out of it or we're being divisive or we're just not listening to a wide variety of news sources or, you know, and so I think what you and I want to talk about today 
you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we obviously denounce white supremacy and yet it's just not that easy. It's not that simple. And I think you and I, since we grew up in evangelicalism, our community and culture has really enabled this and even celebrated aspects that led to um, what happened on the Capitol. And, 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 you know, my sense is like, this stuff is going to keep happening. Um, and so both of us have family members, you know, who really do believe in conspiratorial thinking, really are um, involved in downplaying um, the events of what happened. You know, we've seen people say, well, that was Antifa, all that stuff. And so, you know, as someone who comes from a more activist background, I'm just like, I'm just totally shot, you know, I'm totally mm-hmm. shot because in, in many ways I sort of want to sink into this despair of like, I wrote a book, we tried to have this podcast, we've tried to have conversations in our real life, we've tried to have them online, nothing ever works. We basically at this point have Christians who are pro-authoritarian rule, which is fascism if it, you know, protects and privileges them in a society. and and so. Basically, we're trying to wage a war against authoritarianism, and yet the people who are drawn to that authoritarianism, you know, are gaslighting us at every opportunity to say that's that's not what they're doing. And so I know gaslighting is a term that gets thrown around a lot. I think you probably, Kristen, are a really good person to just talk a little bit about maybe what people can do if they do have, you know, family members, if they do have friends or, you know, their faith community is saying like, Oh, well, what happened on Wednesday was, was bad, but you know, we don't really know what happened. And like both sides of the parties are to blame for what's happening in our nation. You know, like Mm -hmm. maybe that sounds good in Christianity. That's certainly what Franklin Graham has said, you know, on Twitter. And I tried to look up what focus on the family said, but they haven't said a lot. No. And they're still like, you know. They denounced it, which is easy. I mean, sort yeah, they did. But again, it was sort of like, wow, this is wild. And we should pray, you know. We should mm-hmm. just pray for our country. And I'm just like, what? And then they did the whole like, a whole huge post about how God's in control and God's sovereignty is the most important thing. And I'm like, you certainly didn't say that when Obama was going to be elected. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't about God's sovereignty. Right? And so... Again, all of these things are things that people have said better than us, but Crispin, like, what can we do when our community, you know, kind of does what all of these public-facing Christian organizations are doing where they're like, oh, that was bad, but, you know, the problem is just polarization, or we're not even sure what happened, you know? It, it could have been Antifa. All, all this stuff that really just, in my perspective, just means that white evangelicals who have supported Trump don't have to take responsibility for what happened on Wednesday. And I think they should. I yeah. hold everyone responsible. If you voted for Trump, if you enabled Trump supporters in your lives to spew conspiracy theories in front of you or on social media, I feel like you're complicit. That's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, this kind of, to me, it feels like people are talking out of both sides of their mouth in a way. That's how it feels. Um, And I'm not saying necessarily even that they are intentionally being duplicitous, if I'm being generous. But the way that abusive systems work or systems where abuse thrives is we want to maintain the status quo. We want to maintain our power. And then when something clearly, I mean, 
it's been clear for a long time, right? Like it's we're way past clear, but now I mean, focus on the family is at the point of saying clearly this is something is wrong, at least with the people that are doing this thing. Then what you do is you cast out and you point out those people and you say this has nothing to do with the system, right? Right, and so uh, like uh, you know, Catholic Church could be an easy example where you say like, well, yeah, there's like this priest that abused someone. But that has nothing to do with uh, the system of the Catholic Church or whatever church. Mm-hmm. You know, church is a great example. Um, corporate cultures, we run into this where it's like, oh, yeah, this one bad person did this thing. Um, but really, we need to be looking at, like, what is the whole system? And that, I think, is the most infuriating thing about hearing uh, conservative evangelicals right now say, oh, that's horrible what they did. Because it is not it's a way of scapegoating basically mm-hmm. without doing any without doing much reflection i would say yeah it's interesting cuz i don't i actually haven't had a ton of interaction with conservative leaning people even saying publicly oh that was horrible you know um s- some of what i've experienced is like this is antifa like are you insane like this is so not republicans doing this and mm. you know th- these people also go to Black Lives Matter protests or like, where were you when Black Lives Matter was defacing property? You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've really only seen conservatives do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's I've seen a really fair upsetting. bit of that as well. Right. And so for me, I'm like, maybe my perception is skewed, but again, I just don't see anybody taking responsibility. And if they do, the very next sentence out of their mouth is, all of us need to repent. All of us are, you know, a part of this polarization, Democrats and Republicans. And I just want to be like, no, not we're not on Wednesday, mm-hmm. not on Wednesday. This is absolutely unprecedented that this was allowed to happen, that it did happen. Um, and it was only one political party that has been stoked directly by not just Donald Trump, by other politicians. I mean, there's other politicians, they're live streaming it, a part of it. There are politicians giving, you know, encouraging speeches. Like, no. So I I just refuse that out of hand. And I, you know, now, now, Chris, what happens when people do that to their family members and, and stand up and say, no, it's not both sides. I don't believe you. You know, what are they supposed to do when their family members just refuse to take responsibility? Well, I think that this whole, I think whenever there's something like this that happens, like you are going to just be talking in circles with people. Like there's not going to be a way. um, I don't think that there generally is a way to talk through it. What I think is important and what I generally recommend to people is, like, where is, like, some starting point that you can engage with people? Um, So, uh, you know, would you, you know, let's read The Color of Compromise together and talk about, like, the church's, uh, you know, role with racism, right? Because that is going to help us understand why this is so problematic. But if you're just arguing over headlines, like, I just don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, like, that's, I think, the reality. And I think that, uh, I think especially, like, we, uh, what I think is that 
uh, our story and our history is obviously so important. And without remembering the history of the U.S. and race um, and power, that arguing over headlines is not going to be helpful. Because unless you can understand and we have a common understanding of our history as the U.S. and the ways that we've used whiteness, the ways that we've used power, the way that we've racialized our society, Mm -hmm. unless we agree on that, then we're not going to agree on what happened on Wednesday. Well, I I just think... I don't quite understand what you're saying, because if if you can't even talk through the same headline, how the heck is somebody going to read Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, with you and talk through it? They're I, not going to. Right. And so I'm saying, what do we do when Wednesday helps reveal is the final nail in the coffin that our community, our you know Christian, white, evangelical community... Like, is not going to take responsibility for this year, the past four years. And in fact, the entire, you know, history of white evangelicalism being complicit in so many of our national sins. So that's why I'm saying, like, this is a turning point. Like, if people are feeling that, I want to say, yes, this is it. Mm -hmm. This could be the final nail in your your relationship with people. Right, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Because it almost sounds like you're saying, well, just ignore it. It's no use talking in circles. Uh, well, I I guess I'm just trying to say, like, it actually feels really hopeless. And... Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm like, I'm trying to push you. Right. Because... No, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, is if, and what I would say is, like, if people are not willing to do that work to get a better understanding... Then you just, I think you have to shake the dust to use Because it's not like we're just arguing over headlines. Right. We are saying this is what happened. Right. How can you take responsibility for that? And they are saying, I am refusing to take responsibility. So for me, that's relationship ending. Now, you can choose to be in a superficial relationship with communities Mm -hmm. and people that come from those communities that believe that. It's never going to be a real relationship from that point on. And I feel like we've got to get handle on that. And you know what? This happens all the time in countries where, you know, horrific things have happened is a part of a national reckoning involves like the shattering of families, communities, and all of that stuff. It's just going to be a natural consequence if people cling to their lies and they cling to these narratives that they, um, you know, invested their entire lives in, invested their wealth in, all that. Um, so I'm just saying, like, I'm over it. And mm. there's a few relationships in my life that are either over or are just going to be really superficial. And that's not my fault, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's just the terms they've now made it um, right. because this this year, the past few years, have made it so clear, like, they're not safe people. They're not safe for grief. They're not safe for accountability. To them, accountability feels like oppression. Mm-hmm. So they uh, evade it at all costs. Um, they think of themselves as trying to keep the peace, when in reality, they're just propping up systems and justifying and enabling behavior, which means the behavior is going to get worse, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So. Right. What, could you, I guess I do have some things to say. Could you share? <laughs> imagine that. Could you share a little bit? You've been doing some reading about the aftermath of uh, the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, like what that looked like in Germany. And yeah. I think I think that's like really important to norm, like normalize uh, w- the relational fallout that happens after something so significant. Yeah, it's interesting because I am reading this book called Fraun. 
I'm not sure I'm saying it right, but um, it's behind you. Okay, it's F-R-A-U-E-N, and it's a book of oral histories of women who lived during, you know, the Third Reich in Germany, during the Nazi Party's rise to power. And this American woman actually in the, in the 1980s was like, wow, like literally nobody has talked to the average German housewife. Like, of course, we have talked to these, um, you know, soldiers, the concentration camp guards, like the Nazi party officials. And, and actually be kind of, it kind of became a part of the cultural norm, just what these men said in court, which was, we were just following orders. We were just following orders. Um, which in retrospect is like so weird that we use that as a way of getting out of responsibility. Yet again, I was just following order. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. yet another way of not accepting full responsibility. Um, and so she went and did, she, she, she spoke some German. And so she went to Germany and and interviewed all these women. Now the things that were the most interesting to me, of course, were the fact that Germany at that time was 99% religious. So 99% of people, you know, were, would consider themselves religious, mostly Christian. You know, the majority were Lutheran Protestant and there's a very large Catholic. So the majority of Germans were, were Christian. And so I think that's something I was, I was looking back at my life and what I learned about the Holocaust growing up evangelical. Um, and maybe we'll have to, I don't even know if we should talk about this in the episode was, you know, reading this book by Corey Ten Boom. Um, the Hiding Place. I actually read the children's version, which was called A Watchmaker's Daughter, and it really focused on like this one Christian woman who defied the Nazis, hid Jews in her home, all this stuff. But it's like going back and rereading her book as an adult. I'm like, yeah, she talks about all the other Christian neighbors she had refused to. They actually asked their pastor to get involved, and he said, no way am I going to do this. And most of the Dutch Reformed Christians, when Nazi Germany overtook um, you know, their country, their cities, they went along with it because you got better education for your kids, you got better food you know, rations or whatever. So anyways, growing up evangelical, of course, I had this idea in my mind, well, I would be one of the ones who stood up to Nazis. That's what Christians do. And the reality is, no, the vast majority of Christians went along with it and not just to save their own skin or to get their kids good education and to keep things going, but because they also ideologically believed in it. And they believed that God had ordained the leader of Germany um, to be a good leader. And that's what the Fuhrer, the father comes from, like a God-ordained figure, Mm. right? And so Mm -hmm. they also really believed like Germany has such great laws and we're such great people. There's no way this could be corrupted. You know, we're like the mm. best of the best. Of course, you know, these things will withstand. But what's interesting is after all the fallout, um, there's obviously a lot of like national shame that happened and lots of reckoning that had to happen in, um, I think it was the seventies. The uh, United States actually made a documentary about the Holocaust, about what happened in the concentration camps, because most of the women interviewed were like, we had no clue. Like, none of us had any clue of what was going on in the camps. We had no idea. And so then uh, Germany actually broadcasts this miniseries on the Holocaust, and everybody watched it. And they now show it, like, in public schools to the kids. And so uh, one of the women interviewed in the early 90s was like, yeah, her kids would come home from school after watching that documentary and ask her, like, what did you do during the war, mom? And she would have to be like, I, you know, just stayed at home and and kept my nose out of 
the business, you know, of everything. And, and her kids are furious at her. And that was like sort of a theme. Whereas this younger generation, because they actually have to talk about the Holocaust, they have to learn about it. They'll come home and ask their parents, like, why did you go along with this? And the parents don't have good answers. Just like mm. it was the times we didn't know. And we thought it was for the, be-, you know, and then the kids are furious because they have this wider awareness. And then, yeah, you know, mm. a lot of the women were like, yeah, we just have to get together with our female friends and just talk through it. And, you know, and, and that's when they go back into the conspiracy theories. Re- did really that many people die? Mm. Was it really that bad of a thing? It seems very overblown to me. I didn't personally know anybody who died, uh, but they can't talk about it to their kids because their kids are, um, you know, fully on the side that the Holocaust was bad. And so I think that's just what's really chilling um, to me is these women who live through it, like they don't really have an awareness of, of why it would be important for them to mourn or to reckon. And in fact, they feel a lot of like... Uh, resentment at that reckoning being forced on them, being forced on their kids. And the really sad thing is like, I can't actually imagine that forced reckoning happening in America, you know? Yeah. But I think it's just such a good reminder that there is not going to be like this relational piece, right? It's going to be a negative piece to use Dr. King's words. Um, And it's, there's going to be difficult conversations and those difficult conversations can either they can lead to to like actual peace, uh, but it also feels unlikely, sadly. Yeah, and I don't think that means we we shouldn't try, but I do think it's okay if you're at the point where you're like, well, I have tried. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, something like maybe specifically with like our age demographic, it's like, yes, we have some conflict with people and communities in our lives, um, and we are trying to engage in those conversations, and we've lost relationships, you know, because of that. But, uh, man, people don't know what's coming for them with these next generation of kids, right? Like, So true. Our kids are way more radical than we are and are not going to put up with bullshit. <laughs> and so if people in your lives, if loved ones in your lives, like, have a hard time with you— I'm just like, listen, us having these arguments and fights with you, like, it's actually a blessing because something more intense is coming down the pike and you are not prepared for what's, uh, you know, it just reminds me of those kids in Germany just coming home from school and demanding of their parents, like, what did you do? It's like, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. our our 10 year old and our five year old are already at that point. So, right. um, you know, that's definitely coming down the line. There will be a reckoning for this period in American history, particularly for white evangelicals. And um, the kids are asking the questions, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just so good to have that permission to, like, there's not going to be peace. There's not, I'm saying this as someone who, like, always feels like I have to do it the right right way. I have to, like, figure out some way. And, uh, yeah, sometimes just saying, like, yeah, I care about the truth. Um, And... And so I like, this is a value of mine. I can't just sweep it under the rug. I can't just pretend like everything's okay. Yeah. Everything is not okay. Yeah. And I don't want to be in relationship with people who fundamentally cannot accept responsibility for national corporate and individual sins. Cause it's all tied together. And I, I need to be positioning my life in a way where I am in a community that encourages me to interrogate myself, to repent, because I don't want this to seem like a finger pointing thing. Like, of co- I am so mad at Republicans, but that's not like me saying, oh, I'm perfect 
because I voted Democrat. That's that's definitely not how I'm viewing this situation. I'm saying um, these are the stories I was raised on. This is the community I was born in. I'm actually still trying to be a Christian where at this point it would be so much easier after seeing those images on Wednesday, right, of people holding signs that say Jesus saves. They actually had a Christian flag they brought into the Capitol as they stormed it. Like it would be a relief at this point to say to hell with this religion, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately or not unfortunately, (laughs) I think, I think Jesus is where it's at. And that is why we stay in this fight. And that's why we stay in this movement. But it's not like I consider myself better than or different than. I just want to repent and grieve with them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because I really don't want this to seem finger pointy. Mm -hmm. It is finger pointy. But like... The finger is at me too. Didn't you literally say on Twitter this week that you want to point fingers? But at I, like I am, but I'm, but like I'm, <laughs> I'm putting myself in that. It's my community. Mm-hmm. There's, what is the difference between me and them? You, you know, well. <laughs> as far as how we were raised and how uh-huh. we were raised to view power. Okay, here's, here's something, Crispin. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, let's do like a little experiment okay now let's think about the the town of odyssey you know from focus on families adventures Mm -hmm. in odyssey mr whitaker now let's say that odyssey was made up of you know 50 percent of people who you know are people of color who would vote progressive who you know want rights for all citizens and want everybody to be able to vote and express themselves and then half are you know the people we've come to know through adventures in odyssey these white evangelical Christians, you know, who, who believe that God has ordained them to, you know, have the best morals and the best sense, and therefore they should be in charge, right? Um, what would actually happen? Like, what would Mr. Whitaker do if that 50% of the population of Odyssey that did not agree with him actually, you know, was empowered to vote and to be half of the school board, to be half of city council, to, you know, maybe they get 51%, maybe they're 55% now, and they start encroaching on uh, these places of power that Mr. Whitaker's always held. Like, what if, you know, across the street from Whitsend, there opens up this, you know, queer youth center where they also serve ice cream, but uh, <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like, with rainbow sherbet. What would Mr. Whitaker and his people do? I don't know. I mean. They would lose their shit. <laughs> what do you think would happen? And they would eventually, you know, they would try and change laws mm-hmm. to disenfranchise all of those groups of people. They would picket, you know, the mm-hmm. places of business they didn't want to be open. You know what they would say? Because they literally did say this. In one of the episodes, is that it is a small group of people that is making all the decisions for everyone. So, actually, like the majority of people, uh, for example, don't don't want gay marriage to be legalized. Uh, I mean, they wouldn't. He wouldn't say that, but doesn't want that. Uh, that pen poked in the wrong place. <laughs> Go back and listen to our. <laughs> old episodes for that um but 
that's the narrative is that that that's literally that literally was the narrative of that season of Adventures in Odyssey is that actually uh it appears that all these people want equality uh for LGBTQ people but actually it's just a small number that are making themselves seem bigger than they actually are which has direct correlations to uh, a fraudulent election. Yeah, so like the Antifa's behind this is not that actually a large population of our country is not happy with our policing and our and our laws. Right. So or is- like, I mean, even if we just say like the idea of like, it's actually a small percent of people, smaller percent of people that voted for Biden, but they've figured out a way to rig it so that it looks like there's more people that voted for Biden than Trump. So you're saying Wit would just refuse to accept that a growing majority of Odyssey Yes, right. disagrees because, with him. So so for me that's they, trying like, to that's explicit in that season. So for me we have like obviously the disenfranchisement of voters that's happened and voter suppressions that's happened from the start of our country. And I think you're talking about this social way of disenfranchising people from, you know, taking the power out of their narrative. And I think that is that's where folks on the family shines, right? Disenfranchising the vote, like the voices of the people who have suffered in our society and saying, you know, we discredit them, we ignore them. Then when they do get to be the majority, you're right. They say, like, no, this is just the agenda of these radical liberals taking over and, and if only you know we could talk to them then they'd see our side and so i think once all of that was exhausted mr whitaker would absolutely storm city hall mm-hmm. to be able to take back power because I, I think there's the true believers and then there's the people who have been doing this sort of as a long con the whole time and the true believers at that point if they truly only think like a very small percentage of the people actually disagree with them then yeah they are entitled to be in power still even when they lose that power um, through a democratic process and so yeah i think other people have mentioned like the sense of entitlement of these white dudes storming the capitol taking pictures taking selfies cops taking selfies with them um Mm -hmm. you know it's entitlement and and that's just like dripping through every mr whitaker speech i've ever heard through you know all of these episodes they just believe they're entitled to power from God. And to poke that narrative is to is to dismantle their entire faith in the way they see themselves. So yeah, they're going to fight back to keep, you know, because they're entitled because of those beliefs. Right. Yeah. And the belief that like I if I have power, I can maintain order and do things God's way, which is the healthier way. Uh, so I, I'm helping people. Yeah. I mean, if we just want to be really clear about the like motivation, especially an organization like Focus on the Family, yeah, that would argue that was started by a psychologist, they would argue that these political things are coming because it's what's most healthy for for society, right? And so, since this is so central to most people's concept of themselves and God, how God works in the world, that's why I'm saying this is going to get a lot worse. Before it gets better, if people don't take responsibility for that. Yeah. So what do you think, if if you are a person uh, that has come from this community, that has some foot or toe in it in some way, 
I'll ask you this. What is your ethical obligation going forward? Yeah, I think it's hard to talk yeah, about that. I think that it's because, hard to talk about that because uh, this is also happening during a pandemic. You know, we're 10 months into being isolated in our homes away from our communities that ground us, our spiritual communities. Um, you know, so I feel a little wary of being like, this is how we should be responding right now. And yet, you know, my personality is the type where, like, don't let lies slide. Call them out every time you see them. Eventually people will block you or unfriend you or stop posting their BS so much because they know that you're watching. Um, uh, you know, I said this on Instagram, but I, I just think the goal is not to change minds. Uh, but I really, really want to tell Christians that we need to call out the both sidisms happening and ask people to repent specifically for, um, what happened on Wednesday. If, uh, it, you know, Republican Trump supporting Christians need to uh, repent of that publicly without equating it with anything else. Cause this is like a historic thing that has never happened and there is no equivalency to it. Um, and yeah, so the goal is to just make people not feel safe to post lies and falsehoods and um, religious words that just wiggle them out of any responsibility is, is my goal. I'm not saying that's great, um, but people should not feel okay to post lies all the time. To me, that just seems common sense and yet it's not. And it ruins relationships when you call people out on their lies. It truly does. Mm -hmm. We know. Yes. Right. And at the same time, there are a few people that I probably will run into post pandemic, and it is going to be awkward yeah. because of the way that they responded to the way me they on responded. Facebook. And um, again, like this doesn't mean I go after everybody, but I, I mean, I've been dealing with this for so many years that those relationships have already frayed. But like, you know, my cousin commented on my Instagram, like all of these hor horrible posts. Just yesterday. And I'm like, I've met you two times in my life. Maybe I can't even remember. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to engage with him because he's so far down the rabbit hole and I don't actually know him. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to restrict him from being able to comment again because he's saying horrible things about me and he's, you know, saying blatant untruth. So, you know, that doesn't mean you need to emotionally invest in all of this. But if you've been holding off having some tough conversations with people in your life, people that you love, if you don't feel safe at your church anymore because of how people have responded, well, guess what? It's never going to be safe again. Mm -hmm. The things that have been revealed are not going back in the box. And the sooner we can move forward with that, I think the better. Mm -hmm. Some relationships will be ending. Some will be superficial. Some might change. Mm -hmm. I mean... We change, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, you always can leave the door open. But, you know, somebody told me, like, it's not my job to disciple, you know, the people who raised me. Mm -hmm. And I think that took a little pressure off of me. And, it, of course, you can try, but there does come a point where you can say, you know what? I, I have to leave this in God's hands and do what I can. Um, but I also... I. I just think myself and my kids and, and a lot of other people in the world, they, we don't really want a ton of superficial relationships in our lives. So it makes mm -hmm. sense that um, that's not going to be a priority for us moving forward. And one thing I will say is I'm so grateful we go to a church like our pastor just sent out this email and oh, it was just so good. And he talked about the false equivalencies and, you know, 
the difference between like how life giving it was to see Christian signs at Black Lives Matter protests versus seeing Christian signs at the Capitol and um, just talking about how we have to name, confront, repent of white supremacy. And then, you know, Leroy Barber is going to be doing the message at our church on Sunday and he's going to have some awesome things to say. So, um, you know, there are faith communities out there trying to do the work and we encourage you to find them. And Mm -hmm. even though we are isolated during this pandemic, you can, you know, attend online church. You can find the faith communities doing this work. And that is a really helpful way of healing. Um, as we leave behind some relationships because of what's been revealed this year, um, there's also this incredible community that we do get to be a part of, even though it's online. And, and honestly, people listening to this and, you know, people in our patron and stuff, like, that's how I, I view it. And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of what keeps us going. Yeah, I think that they're, like, people are in different places. People uh, feel convictions about different things. But I will say um, that something that gets thrown around a lot uh, in churches is like, well, you have to stay together for the sake of unity or hearing from people that are different than you, etc. But a lot of times that means that, uh, that for example, the elder board holds a super conservative view um, and then you're expected to stay because you don't want to break unity over politics, right? But you actually don't have any power in this situation. So I think it's really important to point that out that like, yeah, sometimes people stick around and that is fine. And we've been in relationships and communities like that. Um, but it's always good to, to realize like at the point of like, oh, I actually, you're telling me that I need to stay here because that's the Christian thing to do and to not divide over things. But you're also not interested in compromising your, or like looking at the way that you view things. Yeah. They're the ones, you know, hate non-unity. Right. Really, they want, you know. Uniformity. There we go. I was like, I know there's a word. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, Yeah. Well, we didn't, you know, talk through a lot of the specifics of what happened on Wednesday because other people will do that. But, um, but yeah, I think looking at like, what does this like um, being in this place where you really care about following Jesus, you have most many of you have a similar background. You're in these relationships trying to navigate. What does this mean right now? So I think taking some time to step back and be like. Yeah, what do I, what does make the most sense for me right now relationally and in terms of following Jesus? And I just think, obviously, it's a watershed political moment. It's going to be a watershed moment relationally for families, church communities, all that. Um, and I I really haven't let myself go there, but, you know, this continued sense, like, this is a watershed moment for Christianity. And I, I know that God is in control of God's... Um, image and reputation and all that. Uh, but, you know, I believe it's like 30% of Germans now consider themselves religious versus the 99, you know, mm. percent. Uh, and that's that's uh, coming for the United States. And I, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, I think I'm out, I totally get it. And that I have not really felt that way up until now. I want to disavow everything that happened on Wednesday, and that includes white evangelical theology. I disavow it. I think that's it. I think we've said all there is to be said. Okay. All right. Back with Narnia. Uh, Soon. Actually. 
actually, the next episode we have on Narnia, it does get into some kind of intense stuff, and, and I love that. But thanks, everybody, for journeying along. Um, you know, we wish we could really be able to have a conversation with each and every one of you. But, uh, yeah, our email is always there if you want to ask Crispin more about sort of, yeah, you know, didn't you just have a conversation today, Crispin, with somebody talking about setting boundaries with mm-hmm. with family members or, or people in your life um, who are gaslighting you into, uh, you know, not really accepting what happened on Wednesday and, and what that means for relationships going forward. So, yeah. I'm not promising Chris will respond, <laughs> but I would. I mean, it would be fun to do if people are running into this and have some like Q and A's. I think actually it could be a fun thing. Not that we have all the answers, but this has just been a continual uh, question that a lot of us have had. So it could be a fun thing to continue to engage on if if y'all are interested in that. So you can email us at propheticimaginationstation at gmail dot com. You can find me on Twitter at K underscore underscore Mayfield. Yeah, and you can find us on Twitter at Prophetic Imagine. We are obviously we have a Patreon and um, we're just so grateful for that community. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be able to keep doing this. And Christmas working hard on his next season, which we will share about probably next week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That'll be great. Thanks, y'all. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Find out more at propheticimaginationstation.com. Also, you can follow Danielle and Crispin on Twitter and Instagram, as well as following the Prophetic Imagination Station on Twitter at PIS underscore imagine and on Instagram at Prophetic Imagination Station. Thanks for listening.